Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2013. Titled Origins, this podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 9, February 23 to March 1, Marriage a Gift from Eden. Sabbath afternoon, February 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, marriage is something that we believe came from you. As we study about this week, the marriage that began in Eden, we pray that your Holy Spirit will enlighten our minds as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Let's read that again, Genesis 2:18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Think of the blessings of a happy marriage and of a loving home. How fortunate are those who have such an experience. Unfortunately, for too many people, marriage has been an experience of mostly pain and anger rather than of joy and peace. This is not how it was intended or how it should be. The sad state of so many marriages is a powerful expression of the degradation that sin has brought to the human race. Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 46, God celebrated the first marriage. Thus, the institution has, for its originator, the creator of the universe. Marriage is honourable, Hebrews 13.4. It was one of the first gifts of God to man, and it is one of the two institutions that, after the fall, Adam brought with him beyond the gates of paradise. When the divine principles are recognised and obeyed in this relation, marriage is a blessing. It guards the purity and happiness of the race. It provides for man's social needs. It elevates the physical, the intellectual and the moral nature. What a wonderful ideal. This week's lesson looks at some of the principles behind it. Sunday, February 24, Lotov. Out of the primeval abyss, God created our world through the supernatural power of His Word. All through the creation account, everything was good until the work was completed, at which point everything the Lord had created was pronounced very good. Genesis 1.31 Question. In the midst of all this, however, one thing was Lotov not good. Read Genesis 2.18. What was not good, and why? What are some of the implications of this text? And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God had declared all aspects of the creation good up to the time that he created Adam. At that point, Adam was the only human, 
Although he was made in the image of God, in his aloneness he could not reflect the full image of God who exists in relationship with other parts of the Godhead. The Godhead, of course, is composed of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thus, Adam needed someone like himself with whom he could form a relationship of mutual love and cooperation, reflecting the loving relationship exemplified within the Godhead. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. After what act does God cause Adam to sleep and then, from his flesh, create a wife? How might the previous act be related to God's creation of a wife for Adam? Verses 19 to 21. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Perhaps the key here is found in the last phrase of verse 20. As he named the animals, Adam must have noticed that they came in pairs, male and female, unlike himself, who was a singular creation. We can be sure that the Lord all along intended for Adam to have a wife. Perhaps the Lord intended to create a longing in Adam, the sense that something was missing in his own existence, which would make him that much more appreciative of the gift that the Lord was going to give him in a wife. So, to finish today, consider the contrast between the good of the rest of the creation and the declaration of not good in regard to Adam's solitude. What does this indicate about the value of relationships? What can you do to help to strengthen whatever valuable relationships that you are in right now. Monday, February 25, A Companion for Adam Genesis 2.20, in which Adam names the animals, helps to reveal the great gap between humans and other earthly creatures. There was no animal that was comparable to Adam. Not even among the apes was there any creature like Adam, because Adam was not like an ape. This is an important point for us to remember, because so many in our society promote the idea that humans are nothing more than advanced apes. We are not apes and that ape was no more suitable as a companion for Adam than it would be for one of us. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. What significance is found in the method by which God created a companion for Adam? And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. As God had personally crafted Adam's body from the dust of the ground, so he personally crafted Eve's body using one of Adam's ribs. God did not need Adam's rib to create Eve. 
He could have created her as he had created Adam, or even spoken her into existence. But God had a reason for forming Eve out of one of Adam's ribs. If the two had been created completely separately, it would indicate that by nature they were completely independent individuals. But the sharing of flesh in both persons indicated that the two were to be united and were intended to be one flesh. After being created, Eve was brought to Adam to be his helper, verse 18. She was made from Adam, verse 22, and given to Adam, verse 22. The process by which God created Eve showed clearly that God could provide any companion that Adam needed. This point became important later when Adam faced the temptation of whether to join Eve in the eating of the fruit or to trust God to take care of the situation. Adam had ample reason to believe that God could take care of him and this made his sin the more grievous. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. What was Adam's response to Eve? And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Adam was so excited when he saw Eve that he sang out in poetry. This is the first poem in the Bible and reflects Adam's regard for his wife and the closeness of their relationship. She was to be his equal, another aspect of creation that was damaged by the fall. Tuesday, February 26, Ideal Marriage Author William Faulkner once called marriage a failure and wrote that the only way to get any peace out of it is to keep the first one, wife, and stay as far away from her as much as you can with the hope of some day outliving her. What a sad commentary on the state of many marriages. Question. Read Mark 10, 7-9. What text did Jesus quote in this passage? What characteristics of a good marriage can be found in the words of Jesus here? Mark 10, verse 7. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. The benefits of leaving one's parents in order to create a home with one's spouse are so well known that they hardly need to be mentioned. Problems with in-laws are one of the leading causes of marital discord. One of the first steps to take when establishing a happy home is to respect the independence of the marriage partners by the establishment of a home separate from their parents when at all possible. In cases when it is not possible, the privacy and intimacy of marriage should still be respected. Unity is another feature of a good marriage. Unity does not mean that the two partners should give up the use of their separate brains, but that they should be united in their purpose to do the very best for each other and for their union. Jesus also emphasized the lasting nature of marriage. Marriage is not a casual relationship to be entered into or dismissed at will. 
It is a lifetime commitment. Those who are not prepared to commit themselves for life should postpone such a step until they are ready. Question. Read Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 25. In what way do these verses reveal the principles of a good marriage? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It is the husband's privilege to give himself to his wife in loving service, as Christ gave himself for the church. In turn, the wife is to respect her husband and to cooperate in their work toward their mutual goals. Here is the solution to the discord that sin has brought into the marriage relationship. Self-sacrificing love will be met by loving respect and mutual happiness. Our homes can be a foretaste of heaven. Wednesday, February 27, Protecting What's Precious One of the greatest examples of God's love for humanity can be found in human sexuality. It is truly a wonderful gift from God, yet, as with all the gifts that we have been given, it doesn't come unconditionally. That is, it's not something we can just do with as we please. God has set some rules. Indeed, He is very clear. Sexual activity is to be between a husband and a wife, male and female, and only in the context of marriage. Anything outside of that is sin. Question. Read Matthew five twenty-seven to 30 Look at how seriously Jesus takes the issues with which he is dealing here. What is ultimately at stake? You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. However much we like to focus, and rightly so, on all the grace and forgiveness that Jesus bestows upon sinners, we can't forget the high standards of morality that he lived and preached. It's hard to imagine how Jesus could have expressed more strongly the warning against sexual immorality as revealed in these few verses. Plucking out your eye, cutting off your hand, if this is what it takes to be pure, then it's worth it. Otherwise, you are in danger of losing your eternal life. Ellen White writes in Councils on Health, page 621 and 2. If all who profess to obey the law of God were free from iniquity, my soul would be delivered. But they are not. 
Even some who profess to keep all the commandments of God are guilty of the sin of adultery. What can I say to arouse their benumbed sensibilities? Moral principle, strictly carried out, becomes the only safeguard of the soul. And so to finish today, however strong Jesus' warning is here, we must not forget the story about the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. How do we strike the right balance between the upholding of the standards that Jesus talked about in the above verses, while at the same time showing grace and compassion to those who fall, as revealed in this story? Thursday, February 28, Marriage as a Metaphor for the Church It is well known among students of the Bible that, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, marriage is used as a symbol of the relationship between God and His covenant people. That's why, for example, on numerous occasions, the Bible uses the image of an unfaithful woman to symbolize the apostasy and backsliding that were prevalent in ancient Israel. For instance, Back in Exodus, the Lord said to his people that they should not enter into any kind of close relationship with the pagans around them because the pagans were a very perverse people who could lead Israel astray. Question. Exodus 34, verses 15 and 16. What image does the Lord use in this specific warning? How can this be understood in the context of God's people being married to him? And compare that with Jeremiah 3.14. First of all, Exodus 34, verses 15 and 16. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlots with their gods. Compare that with Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 14. Return, O backslidden children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. At the same time, the image of the church as the bride of Christ points toward unity among believers and with Christ, especially when understood in the context of the biblical ideal for marriage, one man and one woman in a loving, self-sacrificing relationship. 2. Read Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 28 to 32. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And Revelation 19 and verses 5 to 9. 
and that reads, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. In these texts, the relationship within the ideal marriage is compared with the relationship of God and his people. God invites his people to join with him in an intimate relationship. This is an amazing picture of God's interest in his people and his desire to bring us into his fellowship. So to finish the day, what choices can you make that will draw you closer to the Lord and closer to the ideal represented in the biblical concept of marriage? Why is it a matter of the choices that you and you alone can make? Friday, March 1. In many ways, a proper understanding of morality, especially sexual morality, is clearly tied to a proper understanding of our origins. For example, evolutionary philosophy does not provide an objective basis for any link between sexual activity and morality. Animals have many different types of mating systems. Some species are polygamous, many are promiscuous. A few species are mostly monogamous, but genetic studies have revealed that many species that appear to be monogamous are not actually so. In many species, a female may give birth to a group of offspring that are not all fathered by the same individual. Without the objective standard of morality given by the Creator, we would have no basis for the evaluation of sexual behavior as morally good or bad. The current push to approve homosexual partnerships illustrates the point. It is only in the light of creation that marriage is properly understood. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 151, In both the Old and the New Testament, the marriage relation is employed to represent the tender and sacred union that exists between Christ and his people. To the mind of Jesus, the gladness of the wedding festivities pointed forward to the rejoicing of that day when he shall bring home his bride to the Father's house, and the redeemed, with the Redeemer, shall sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Darwinism denies anything like the biblical creation. What rules for sexual behaviour, if any, does Darwinism provide? And how do they contrast with the biblical ideal? 2. What are some biblical examples of good marriages and happy ones? Name some biblical examples of unhappy marriages and homes. What can we learn from both? 2. Review the description of 
the virtuous wife in Proverbs chapter 31 and verses 10 to 31. And it reads like this, beginning at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of a husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, yet she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honour are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. What should be the character of the husband of such a wife? 4. In what ways can your local church be a place that can help to affirm and strengthen the ideals of marriage? What practical things can your church do in order to accomplish that goal. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Small Projects Make Big Impact. Part of our mission offerings are set aside to fund specific small outreach projects around the world. These are separate from the larger 13th Sabbath offering funds. Two recipients report on how they use these special project funds to reach out to their communities. Egypt has fewer than 750 Seventh-day Adventists among a population of more than 80 million people. The vast majority of Egyptians are Muslims, during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, observant Muslims fast during the day and break their fast with an evening meal after sunset. In a gesture of goodwill, the Seventh-day Adventist Church hosted an evening meal during Ramadan for members of the Muslim community. They invited a number of Seventh-day Adventists and prominent citizens or Christians to mingle with their Muslim guests. 
More than 20 non-Adventists attended the meal, including government assistant ministers, a general, a police colonel, representatives from two political parties, leaders of an Egyptian human rights organisation, and journalists. After the meal, the guests expressed appreciation and goodwill toward the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Some indicated that they had been unaware of the Seventh-day Adventists before the occasion. Egypt Field President Llewellyn Edwards spoke to the guests, expressing how living among Muslims had changed his understanding of Muslims from one of fear created by Western media to one of friendship and hospitality. Muslims are people to be loved, he said. The small project's mission offering helped to build a bridge of understanding between Christians and Muslims in an important political centre of the Muslim world. Halfway round the world lies the tiny South Pacific island nation of New Caledonia. The easternmost island is Mare, only about 20 miles or 30 kilometres from shore to shore. It lies almost 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometres east of Australia and is home to about 6,000 people. In July of 2001, Pastor Jean-Noël Adeline led in a series of evangelistic meetings sponsored in part by the Small Outreach Project Funds. As many as 200 people from across the island attended the evangelistic meetings. Following the meetings, a small group numbering 10 people began meeting on Sabbaths and preparing for baptism. The islanders and the new Caledonian mission are moving forward to build a place of worship so that these tender new seeds of faith can grow strong and root deeply in one of the farthest corners of the world. The new believers in the island of Mare in New Caledonia thank you for sharing your mission offerings and helping them to discover God's plan for their lives. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, the Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.